You are listening to a podcast from the UAB School of Nursing Health Network. Good afternoon and welcome to Clinical Pearls. I'm your host, Tracy White. You can join our discussion today by typing your questions into the chat box. We will answer as many questions as we can during our 30-minute segment. Today, we are delighted to have Drs. Natalie Baker and Elizabeth Crooks here to discuss the Nurse Practice Act and Advanced Practice. So welcome to both of you. I'd like each of you to give a short introduction, and I'll start with Dr. Baker. Hi, Tracy, and thank you so much. So I am Natalie Baker. I am a full-time associate professor here at UAB School of Nursing. I am a nurse practitioner as well and continue to maintain um, a clinical practice as well. I also serve on the Alabama Board of Nursing. I am I'm completing my eighth year as a gubernatorial uh, appointment to the board to represent uh, the certified nurse uh, practitioners in the state of Alabama. I also serve on the joint committee here in Alabama of the Alabama Board of Nursing and Alabama Board of Medical Examiners that oversees collab collaborative practice for our nurse practitioners and clinical nurse uh, midwives. Wonderful, wonderful. We're excited to have you. And Dr. Crooks. Good to see you, Tracy. Uh, I'm Elizabeth Crooks. I'm a full-time faculty member at UAB School of Nursing, and I primarily teach in the undergraduate programs uh, focused on systems leadership uh, and developing leadership skills, both in our RN to BSN students, as well as our generic BSN students, with a focus on helping them prepare for licensure and what it means to, um, to maintain a professional license. <clears throat> Great, great, thank you. Good to see you too. So let's start with the basics. Natalie, can you tell us, um, and some of us may know more than others, obviously, uh, what are Nurse Practice Acts? Why are we even talking about that today? Definitely, so the Nurse Practice Act in each uh, state actually sets the rules um, or the laws that oversees our professional um, uh, license. So in each state, the Nurse Practice Act is actually developed and passed by the state legislation. So um, sometimes you might hear that there needs to be a change to the Nurse Practice Act where you, you have to go to your um, state, go through the state legislative session. So oftentimes, you know, there will be new bills that are introduced in hopes that our legislators will agree that we need to make a change to our Nurse Practice Act. And then when you get your actual Nurse Practice Act, which essentially defines your scope of practice in the state, then it's up to each individual state board of nursing to come up with the administrative codes and the rules and the regulations as to how and the Nurse Practice Act will be enacted in each individual state. Elizabeth, can you talk a little bit about the history of the Nurse Practice Act and how it even got started? Oh, absolutely. It goes to when nursing didn't have any formal education requirements to be a nurse, and anyone could actually call themselves a nurse. Nursing in the United States began as people coming into individual homes and providing care to the ill uh, with very few hospitals. And nurses became nurses 
through on-the-job training or simply by saying that they were a nurse. Uh, obviously, that is not sufficient to protect the public. And so as nursing became recognized as a profession with a defined scope of practice, each state enacted nurse practice acts in order to regulate who could call themselves and um, what it took to be a nurse and how someone would be licensed. So who, Elizabeth, sticking with that, who, who began writing them and who currently writes these? I know Natalie said we have to go through the legislature, but what does that mean? How do they get written? written just like any other bill would get written. And so they're generally written as part of a um, nurse. The nursing practice is part of the Commerce Committee um, in most states. And so that committee would be the one that would revise the bill. Uh, and as with any legislation, our legislators depend on us as nurses to participate in policy formation. And so it's really important that nursing is at the table with our legislators, has developed good relationships with our legislators to guide them into the types of language that's necessary and what the various problems are that have to be addressed. I think it's so important for us to teach our nurses that to be politically active because it, it is so important. Um, Natalie, when thinking about the Nurse Practice Acts, why are they regulated by state instead of federal legislation? So, yeah, so that's a great question. So we currently, you know, our um, constitution um, gives individual states a lot of rights. Um, you know, and the federal government tries to allow as much autonomy among states as possible. And for that reason, to date, um, the federal government has not seen a need to actually intervene within, uh, you know, individual states' rights for any type of federal or um, national type of licensure. Um, now, I know we will most likely touch upon, you know, some compact laws that are now out there that allow more portability across state lines. But that also is not coming from the federal government. So that's um, just a great example of how the individual states have rights to deem, um, like Elizabeth stated, you know, who can call themselves a nurse in the state? And then, you know, what standards are they held to? And, you know, I'll also tag along to um, what Elizabeth just said, uh, you know, an excellent, you know, kind of summary of the history of nurse practice acts anyone can actually go to their legislators and ask for a bill and uh, to be introduced and make a change to the nurse practice act now you know obviously like you know having any other bill pass you know you have to get a lot of people who are advocating and and talking with their legislators um, the Alabama Board of Nursing sometimes recognizes needs to be changed to the Nurse Practice Act. They also must go to legislators and ask for a bill to be drawn up and then advocate for it. And then, you know, special interest groups uh, within the state um, or individuals also have the same right to petition to try to get changes made to the Nurse Practice Act. Do the 
practice acts vary greatly between states. I know you mentioned the compact license, and if you wouldn't mind, you can go ahead and explain that now. But in general, are there many, many differences in each state's practice acts? Sure, Tracy. So that's a loaded question, and we could be here hours just parked on that one question. But as a, a quick answer, uh, and I'll be happy to answer uh, any follow-up questions, but as as far as your registered nurse and licensed practice nurse, the differences from state to state in their nurse practice acts, there are you know, very little difference. Now they, they will have their own um, you know, rules as far as how to maintain that license, you know, as far as how many continuing education hours, that kind of stuff. But there's really very little difference. The biggest difference in the Nurse Practice Act affects advanced practice registered nurses. And there are four different roles of advanced practice nurses that I'm sure we'll get into a little bit later. As far as the compact, the National Council State Boards of Nursing, which is composed of all of the individual state uh, boards of nursing, um, several years ago actually recognized the need for more portability for because we live in a world now where we're not confined just to our own geographic area and we have a lot of nurses who may live uh, you know on state borders and you know want to cross into the next state to practice now with telehealth especially there's that need to to possibly need to reach out and practice across state lines and so we have a nursing compact that uh, affects, you know, the registered nurses and licensed practice nurses. And most of our states um, adopt the compact, whereas in whatever state that you reside in, if your state is part of that compact, then you can get what is called a multi-state license or a compact license. Um, it costs a little bit more, um, but then you can go into any other state that actually recognizes the compact, that they're also part of the compact, and then you don't have to get an individual license for that state as well. Um, Alabama only adopted this um, about two years ago. Prior to that time, I had to maintain um, several different state nursing license to allow me to practice in different states. Now that I'm part of the multi-state licensure, I can have a multi-state license and then I could go into several different um, states and practice without having to then go through their individual state process as well. Thank you for that. Elizabeth, can, can you comment on the differences of the types of nursing practice? So I, in our prep meeting, we talked a little bit about the generalist versus the APRN versus an advanced prepared nurse. How are those different and how does that affect the nurse practice acts? Or how sure. are they affected? I'm happy to. So when I use the term generalist, I'm talking about a nurse who is practicing uh, uh, in a non-advanced practice role. And as Natalie said, we have four uh, advanced practice categories. It, uh, and that includes our nurse anesthetists, our nurse practitioners, our nurse midwives, and our clinical nurse specialists. So they actually have an advanced practice license 
and it varies from state to state as to whether or not they may practice independently or whether they must have a collaborating physician uh, as part of their practice. And that's something that I'm sure Natalie will, will pick up on. And then there are advanced preparation roles. These are non-licensed roles, but uh, for instance, an example is the certified nurse educator has to have at least a master's degree in order to uh, hold that title. Um, and so uh, that would be considered an advanced preparation, having uh, extra education beyond what's necessary to enter practice in order to perform in an advanced preparation role. And, um, and then it, when it comes to entry to practice in the United States, all of the nurses who uh, have finished their pre-licensure program associate degree or bachelor's degree, or in some cases, a master's degree, uh, sit for the same licensing exam. So thank you for that. Natalie, we, we have heard the term, or I have, um, full practice authority. Can you talk about what that means and how that relates to the roles that Elizabeth just listed? Certainly. So full practice authority or independent practice, you hear, you know, several different um, phrases that essentially mean the same thing that um, applies only to the advanced practice registered nurse. Again, the nurse anesthetist, nurse practitioner, clinical nurse specialist, and our certified nurse midwives. And um, so every state dictates how these advanced practice registered nurses can practice. Can they practice to the full extent of their education and training without any um, oversight or collaboration from physicians is always the big question in each state. So currently, um, I think it's 26 states allow at least one of those roles to practice at their full capacity uh, without any type of a physician um, oversight or collaboration. Um, very few states in the country allow for all four roles um, of advanced practice registered nurses to, to practice totally independent. Almost every one of our states require at least one if not all four of the advanced practice registered nurses roles to have some type of oversight or collaboration with uh, a physician um, and it varies in some states it might be a physician or a dentist or a podiatrist um, I, you know i think maybe the term intervention uh, physician intervention might be a little bit of a strong word but essentially they're saying that we're not safe enough to practice totally without them watching what we do and have some type of input as to uh, the level of care that we provide. In the state of Alabama, none of our advanced practice registered nurses have um, the ability to go out and practice fully to the extent of their education and training without some type of oversight or intervention by the Alabama Board of Medical Examiners. That's very interesting. Elizabeth, we talked a little bit about uh, the history and, and different, the fact that it's laws and legislation. 
if one wanted to lobby for increasing practice abilities of the of those nurse practitioners how do you even go about doing that can you comment on that it's all about building relationships natalie um and it isn't something that happens overnight the first thing we have to look at is what is the primary objection and who is posing those objections uh, to advanced practice uh, nurses practicing with full authority. And once you have an understanding of what the opposition is, then you can work at building relationships, both with those who are skeptical about the skills and contributions of advanced practice registered nurses um, and those who support it. But it comes down to relationships and that ability to um, to listen carefully, to to be willing to accept diverse opinions. Uh, so it's a form of diplomacy if you want to think of it that way. Um, and developing relationships. I always encourage my students to develop relationships with their state legislators, know who their state representatives are, send off a note to them of congratulations when they're elected, um, and always put RN after their name because we are the most trusted uh, um, profession and that credential carries a lot of weight. I love that, the, the diplomacy. And I love that you teach your students. Mm -hmm. Um, to to reach out to the legislatures. That's something that I didn't ever think about doing as a young student, for sure. Um, Natalie, what are some barriers that we are facing in regards to Nurse Practice Acts? I, obviously, this is one of them, and without getting too much in the weeds about it, just some current controvers controversies or barriers that, that we are facing with those Nurse Practice Acts. Yes, Tracy. So it, that is a very timely question. You know, we're now emerging from the um, COVID pandemic. And, you know, during the pandemic, especially at the very beginning of the pandemic, almost every state in the country that did not allow full practice authority for their advanced practice registered nurses actually implemented some type of emergency waivers that allowed us to um, uh, practice beyond what our current limitations or barriers were within each of the states. Now, obviously, in the governor's office in each state, they, um, you know, they worked closely with both the individual boards of nursing and boards of medical examiners to make sure that, you know, there was a, a buy-in, you know, on both sides. Um, and so here, especially in Alabama, you know, we had loosened um, restrictions. Um, you know, we, for the first time, we, we were seeing our uh, nurse anesthetist colleagues be able to, you know, do so much more in the ICUs. They kind of came out of the ORs and worked a lot in the ICUs, you know, managing airways and um, nurse practitioners in Alabama. We have a ratio of physicians can only, you know, oversee or collaborate with, you know, so many nurse practitioners or physician's assistants. They count those in the equation as well. And so we saw a lot of loosening of that um, so that we could get out there on the front lines and do more because the physicians were stretched. They just simply could not meet the needs in the healthcare crisis. So, okay, so now 
we're getting to a point where COVID has not gone away. It's more endemic. Um, thankfully, it's not as deadly. Um, and so we're almost coming, going back to, you know, the pre-COVID days. Well, with that, so many of those emergency waivers have now expired. And so in Alabama, for instance, you know, we went from having very relaxed rules um, for probably 18 months or so, and now we're having to go back to more restricted practice, but yet there's not been any metrics that so far that have been reported that showed that we endangered the lives of very critically ill people during the time of a healthcare crisis. So that's a big barrier. So now you see a lot of states, at least in the advanced practice world, where we're saying, okay, we were safe enough to do this during a pandemic crisis why can't we continue to go forward and try to alleviate some of the barriers to our practice? That's a very May I add on to what Natalie had to say? Yes, please. So um, we hear about the nursing shortage all, but the truth is we also have a physician shortage and it's a serious physician shortage, both in specialty areas as well as primary care. Um, and this shortage is particularly felt in underserved areas, so urban areas and rural areas of our country. And this problem is not going away, it's actually just becoming worse and worse. And I anticipate that uh, nurse practitioners, our advanced practice registered nurses, um, will be used uh, to a greater extent in the future as well as the understanding of what competency-based education is about. And uh, there are more than one path to competence. And the idea that I've been in school for 15 years, therefore I am more skilled than someone who's been in school for 12 years, um, no longer holds water. So I think we're going to start seeing some change, not only because our advanced practice registered nurses performed so beautifully during a public health crisis, but because even when the pandemic resolves, we will still have the public health crisis of not enough physicians. Very, very, very important point, Elizabeth. Thank you for, for adding to that. We talked about the roles of state boards of nursing, and we're now talking about the shortages of, of both nurses and physicians and coming out of a, a, a global pandemic. So we are all burned out and stressed. Natalie, how does the state board of nursing or, or do they help nurses with things like burnout during these times? Yes, burnout has been a very significant issue. Uh, in nursing. Um, different states have different types of assistance programs for nurses who may be experiencing burnout. Uh, and oftentimes burnout leads to um, abuse of alcohol or, you know, drugs. You know, nurses are human. And, um, you know, when we experience, you know, mental anguish, um, we react the same as the general public. And sometimes we also experience, you know, those problems with some type of substance abuse. 
um, uh, disorder or, you know, maybe just mentally get to the point where we're really not competent to be interested with taking care of patients. Um, And while boards of nursing are there to protect the public, they definitely want to help nurses. And it's just like, you know, Trey, I mean, I'm sorry, Elizabeth was talking about, you know, there's a shortage of providers, you know, both physicians and nurses. And so in Alabama, for instance, we have what is known as the VDAP, which stands for Voluntary um, Disciplinary Alternative Program. Um, And it is something that is confidential. And if any nurse in Alabama feels like, uh, you know, I just cannot cope anymore, or I recognize that perhaps I'm drinking some alcohol before I report for a shift, um, they can self-report to the Board of Nursing and they can, uh, if they meet certain criteria, um, then they go into a confidential program and they receive the treatment that, you know, they need while not putting their license in jeopardy. And so they are being monitored very closely, but they are allowed to continue to work while they're working through their program. Um, Unfortunately, we do get a lot of complaints uh, from nurses who are working impaired or just so mentally distraught from everything they have witnessed in the last couple of years related to COVID. Um, that, you know, employers are concerned about their abilities to work. Um, and we always try to work with them and try to get them the, you know, the they need. We have to go process because it's much more beneficial um, to help the nurses and keep the nurses employed. And every state has some type of program. They all call it a little bit different, but there are those programs out there to help deal with the the mental um, burnout that we're seeing uh, related to not only the pandemic, but you know, things just happen in people's lives. Thank you. Elizabeth, I would love to hear your thoughts also on how states handle disciplinary issues while still supporting the, our nurses. Do you have any thoughts on that? Yes, yeah, so uh, one of the most important things to remember is that the boards of nursing have, due, the nurses are given due process when a complaint is made. And so there is a very specific chain of events that occurs uh, when a nurse finds themselves in a position where they may have to uh, defend their practice or if there has been a complaint made about uh, their fitness uh, for duty. And the, the most important thing every nurse, no matter where they practice, should do is understand what that process is um, so that they can participate in it uh, fully. Uh, And that includes things like knowing how to answer the Board of Nursing when the Board of Nursing uh, reaches out to you with a complaint, whether or not you should have legal representation, um, because there are some times when you might need to have that. Um, And so, and that chain of events varies based on state. So, So know what that process is and know how best to respond to it. That is wonderful, wonderful advice. 
Um, Natalie, Elizabeth already touched on this a little bit, but what do you see in the future for Nurse Practice Acts? I see um, the loosening of barriers to practice in uh, for advanced practice nurses, definitely. Um, we also uh, are seeing more and more of uh, individual states adopting the compact uh, for the registered nurses and licensed practice nurses. Now there is, is also a compact for advanced practice registered nurses, which as you can imagine is somewhat messy because so many states have, you know, varying opinions as to what advanced practice registered nurses should and should not be able to do. And so um, currently there's only um, four or five states that have in, uh, adopted the advanced practice registered nurse compact. And that's not enough to actually, for that program to get up and actually get started. Um, but I do foresee some major shifts in advanced practice registered nurses, nurse practice act. Um, not so much for registered nurses and licensed practice nurses, again, because you know they're already able to practice to the full extent of their education and training. Excellent. We are about to wrap it up. That 30 minutes goes by so quickly. Um, Elizabeth, what should every practicing nurse know about the Nurse Practice Act that regulates their practice? They should know where to find it uh, and that you will find it at the site for your board of nursing, wherever, whatever state you're practicing in. You should know the scope of practice as defined by that Nurse Practice Act for your specialty area, whether you're a registered nurse or a licensed practical nurse or licensed vocational nurse. So absolutely know your scope of practice because often that's where nurses get into trouble. They step out of, outside of their scope of practice. Um, and then know what the requirements are for maintaining your licensure, whether it is continuing education hours or practice hours. Uh, so know those. Uh, that, that would be the takeaway I would have what everyone should know uh, about the Nurse Practice Act. And Tracy, can I also follow up? Yes, please. Thank you, and um, thank you, Elizabeth. You know, excellent uh, advice for our nurses. I would just uh, also just hijack that just a little and also say you can call the Board of Nursing. If you have questions about interpretation of the Nurse Practice Act, give them a call. They had much rather filled your questions then later have to deal with something that maybe you misinterpreted and then later may possibly be facing some type of discipline. So absolutely, um, you know, many people are afraid of the boards of nursing, uh, but reach out to them, ask questions. And then sometimes you may feel like you need to ask for a declaratory ruling on a topic that you feel like maybe, you know, is vague. Um, I know on our website, there is a tab there that for declaratory rulings, and it has all of the ones we've issued over the last two or three decades. And um, any registered, uh, you know, licensed nurse in the state that have that right to ask for declaratory rulings as well. Thank you both so much for that. I will admit that I've always 
been a little scared of the board of nursing um, because I just think of it as a punitive board instead of a supportive group of fellow nurses. So I hope we've cleared some of that up today and uh, making sure that everyone knows that it is a, a supportive group of people and that we can reach out to them. So I just thank you so much. Unfortunately, we are out of time, but this was such an interesting discussion and such an important, timely discussion as well. So thank you both for being with us again, and thank you all for watching. I'll see you next time on Clinical Pearls. Thanks for listening to Clinical Pearls from the UAB School of Nursing Health Network. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. This podcast is also available in video form at youtube.com forward slash C forward slash nursing network.